read today comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and Dean's going to bring that to us. I feel for Baz, those two, do you still feel for Baz? He's a tough one. Bob, man, losing him, he's got lots of problems. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Morning church. Okay, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 12 to 28. Now we ask you brothers to respect those who... Uh, work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other, and we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Jesus Christ. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you, and, uh, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all brothers with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Thanks, Dean. Uh, we're in part two of our talks on 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We did uh, the first few verses last week. We're on to the last part of that this week. And to kick off this week, I'm going to play a clip that we saw last week. You'll see why in a moment. Yeah, yeah, go ahead, look for your car, walk at a, like an angle across the street. Just stay in the way of the cars for as long as you possibly can. There's no reason we wouldn't want this lot all congested or anything, people to be able, okay, no, no, I'll stop while you look for your keys, it's cool. Stand in front of the car. Just stand in front of the car. She said, just tell me when you can be there. She didn't say, tell everyone when you can be there. I just need to, ah, oh, I hate this. Oh, I love Jesus, though. Okay, that one, that one, How do you not know what you wanted? You waited behind three other cars. Just stop hitting reply all. Just answer the one person. Why reply? Oh, it's Bill. Talk to me about his fantasy football team. I don't care. Oh. Hey, who microwaves salmon in an office full of people? Honestly. I didn't watch the game. I told you I don't watch the game. I don't care who you got. Just respond to the person you need to respond to, not everyone in the office. I don't care how you're ranked. I'm just gonna pull in. Close the door. Let's just close the door. Close the door. Oh, oh, they're ordering like 20 drinks for the office. Go inside, go inside. Pretend you don't see him, pretend you don't see him. Oh, I hate this. I hate this. Oh, good, he's giving up. I hate that guy. But I love Jesus. Hey, hey, hey. Yeah? I need those express reports by Friday. No problem. 
hate that guy. Now, those who were here last week might remember that clip. Those who weren't here last week, well, it might be the first time you've seen it. Uh, but there's a challenge in it, isn't there? Uh, to not to be like that guy. Uh, last week, we looked at the first part of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and it was about being uh, a loving family of God, uh, that we are to love others, that we are to love our loving leaders, and that we are to love all people, and that's because Jesus loves us, and we are to seek to do that. Now, how did you go with that this week? Uh, were you changed this week? Did you go away from last week, and were you changed? Why not? I remember last week we thought about, didn't we? We thought that we are to be living lives that are nourishing lives, lives that actually feed into people, not drain out of people. There actually be people who are loving and caring for one another. And we talked about, didn't we, that uh, we're not to be people who are arc people, but cack people. Who knows, what, remember what that was? Yeah, so who knows what arc... It, a random act of kindness that comes out of Evan Almighty. God was speaking to Evan. At the end of it, he writes arc in the, in the sand. He says, that's how you change the world. One act of random kindness at a time. But we said, well, no, 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 we're not to be one act of random kindness. We're actually be continual acts of kindness. Uh, that's what 1 Thessalonians was telling, wasn't it? It was saying that we are to be people who are being continually acting kind to those around us. That we are to pursue patience, that we are to cultivate kindness, and that we're to do that with each other and out into the world. That we are to bring that light to the world and change the world. Remember Kamal, the old uh, lovely uh, singer? Who remember one of his most famous lines? Love all the children, but the first one is why? Why is the world so unkind? Why are people so unkind? Uh, well, that's not to be us. We are not to be the people that are unkind. We are to be the people that are continually kind, that are continually patient, that are continually seeking the good and refusing the evil, that that is who we are to be in the world around us, that we are to be people who are living a nourishing life. Whose life did you nourish this week? Why not? If you didn't nourish a person's life this week, why not? We've got to stop having excuses, don't we? We're not going to be stopped like that guy on the screen who goes around and lives a life about complaining and whinging and just being a pain, even though I must admit microwaving a salmon in an office is probably not a good option. That's worth complaining about. Uh, but just continually complaining, is that us? And then to the side saying, but I love Jesus. We've got to stop having those excuses, don't we? We can't have the excuse that we can be whinging, complaining, painful people, angry people, unkind people, unpatient people. We've got to stop having those excuses and saying, oh, but that's just what's happening around me. No, that's not us, guys. We're not to be those type of people. We're to be people that are nourishing lives, that those around us, the people who come in contact with us, the people here on a Sunday morning, the people that we work with during the week, the people down the street, are we the people that when they walk towards us, they go, oh, let's turn away from them? Or are we the people that look at, oh, they're nourishing. They're going to speak into my life. 
They're going to bring words of life to me. They're going to come and they're going to listen to me. They're going to be patient with me. They're going to be kind to me. They're not going to be angry. They're not going to be impatient. They're not going to slam me. They're going to build me up. That's what the first part of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 is about, isn't it? That is the type of people that we are to be. We're to be people who are living a nourishing life, that we are nourishing those around us. And the second part of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 tells us how we can be like that. The whole of the book's a bit like that in one sense, isn't it? The whole of 1 Thessalonians is telling us in one sense how to be like that. Then in chapter 5, he just slams us. He just goes bang, 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 all the way through, and you smack, 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 and you go, wow, it's all there. Can I encourage you to go home this week and just spend each morning on a one sentence or one section, even a three or four words in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, because you can just sit in them and just let them soak into you and then think, God, as Baz, or aka Matt, Ask God to speak to you through his word to change you and challenge you on that because there's so much in this. We're going to try and encapsulate a little bit of it this morning but can I encourage you to just sit in it this week. Asking God to change your life, to change how you to be people who are nourishing in their life. Because to be nourishing in our lives, we actually need to be nourished as well, don't we? We need to have a nourished life so that we can feed that out into people. And that's what this passage, the next part of this passage is talking about. It's about how to have a nourished life. It's not the be-all and the end-all of it, but there's an element of it there. It's in there. Uh, It'll help us within the context to see how we are to live a nourished life. Uh, So have a look at it. And the first part I want to have a look at is at the end of verse 18 there. Uh, there's a whole lot, isn't it? You can just spend on the first two words. Think about rejoice always. Fend on, pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. We're going to come back to that because that all depends on the second part of the actual sentence. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Often we ask what God's will for us is, don't we? Back in chapter 4, verse 3, we saw it as to be living a sanctified life. That is to live a life like Jesus. To have our life continually changed to be more like Jesus. That's God's will for you. In whatever circumstance you're in, whatever job you have, whatever relationship you're in, God wants you to become more like Jesus within that. That's his ultimate will for you. And this is very similar. It's about being in Jesus, isn't it? God's will for you is that you in Christ Jesus. Notice that first. First of all, it's in Christ Jesus. We're going to come back to what he wants you to look like, but first of all he says, God's will for you in Christ Jesus. We actually need to be in Jesus first to actually be doing God's will at all. First and foremost, we need to be in him. Because when we are in him, then we are blessed. Now this is a statement that I've been thinking about for a while because I think if we don't understand this statement, if we don't understand this, we cannot be the first three statements that he's got beforehand. Blessedness is a state and not a circumstance. I want to think that through. I want to pull that apart. I haven't completely worked it out. But you know, 
first and foremost, you are blessed with all spiritual blessings where? In Jesus. You see, first and foremost, blessedness is a state. It's a place. It's in Jesus. That if you are in Jesus, then you are blessed beyond belief. It, that's your position. You are there. You are blessed beyond compare in Jesus. If you read through the scriptures, blessedness is about, first of all, foremost, being in Jesus. Matthew 5, where Jesus talks about being blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, blessed are the They are the people who are actually in Jesus. That's the person who are the blessed, are the ones who are meek and mild. And if you work through that, you'll see that that's who Jesus is and that's who we are in Jesus. And then you get to Ephesians chapter 2, it says that we, in Ephesians chapter 1, that we are blessed with all spiritual blessings, all spiritual blessings, not partly spiritual blessings, but all spiritual blessings, in Jesus. So it's actually a position that we're in. We are blessed in Jesus. Blessedness is found in him. Now in some senses, circumstances, you feel like, oh well, I, you know, certain things make me feel part of that. But ultimately the circumstance isn't the fact that you're blessed. You are blessed in Jesus first and foremost. Because if we don't have that, suddenly there becomes a hierarchy of blessedness. Think that through. Suddenly, you know, we say, oh, God blessed us with a sunshiny day. Well, he has, but he'd bless you with a sunny, a, a, a rainy day as well, do you know? Oh, I'm blessed because my health is good. Well, yes, but you're also blessed when your health is bad. You see, the person who's got everything going for them and everything looks wonderful for them is no, and if they're in Jesus, is no more blessed than the person who's on the street and is in Jesus. Push that round for a while. Have a think through that. Think through the Bible on a bit more. Uh, but think about that because if it's not that, then suddenly we think, well, I'm a better Christian because I'm getting the sunshine on my good day than someone else's. Or my health is better than someone else's, so am I more blessed than someone else over there because my health is good. Or I've got wealth. Great. Am I more blessed than the person that hasn't got wealth? Does God somehow have a hierarchy of blessedness somewhere, somewhere in, that, in the circumstances around or the things that we have or are we ultimately blessed in Jesus no matter what circumstance we're in? Have a think of that because I think this changes everything. I think it makes sense of how we can understand the next, the first verse, the first part of this section. Because how do we rejoice in everything, be thankful in everything and pray continually if it's all dependent upon our circumstance? We're gone. Can't do it. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. All circumstances. Doesn't just mean when things are going and the sun's shining. I'll be singing, blessed is thy name. At the end we're going to sing that song a little bit later. When the sun shines on me or when the rain or when I've got good things happening for me. When I haven't, I'm going to praise the Lord. That's what the psalm says.
Because you see, otherwise, those statements there are just global statements, and global statements mean nothing. Does anyone know what a global statement is? It's a bit of a, a counselling term. Global statements are this. Oh, they're always like that. No one at that school cares. Every sporting organisation is corrupt. No one cares for me. It's always like that. Global statements are things when we say all, every, no one, everything, and they're never true, are they? They are never true. If you want to get in an argument and get beaten, use a global statement. You can't win. As soon as you put everyone into one category or everything into one situation and circumstance, then you're gone. Okay? You can't win because it's, it's never that that's the case. So how can we say rejoice always? How can we say pray continually? How can we say be thankful and everything? Because it's not determined on circumstance, not determined on people. It's determined upon who? God. It's dependent on who he is because he is a faithful God. God's faithfulness which makes the fact that we can do things because he puts us into Christ, in Jesus, and in him we have all spiritual blessings. We are his and his alone and everything that he does and when we're in him is to grow to his glory and for him to be shown how great it is and is best for you and me. Everything. And if we don't believe that and if we don't do that then we can't rejoice always. We can't be thankful in all circumstances and we can't pray continually because we doubt that God's got all of it. Because that's what he has, doesn't he? You see, Paul is saying that in Christ, God has got it all and he is faithful and he is just and he knows where it's all going and he's got everything. The biblical terminology for that is that he is sovereign. His sovereignty is over everything. There's great t-shirts, isn't it? I think Emma's got a t-shirt that says, God's got it. Okay? That biblical term is sovereignty. He's got everything. He's got all of it. The whole works. The whole kit and caboodle. He's got it sorted. You know, we can pray to God. Why? Because he's got everything. He's not too busy spinning the world and keeping the universe in way. He's got everything. He's got the whole lot. So we can come and speak to him. He's got all of it and he's got you. That's what it means to be in Christ Jesus. He's got the whole lot and he's got you and he's got it all heading in the direction that he wants it to go. And we are blessed because we are in him. And so therefore, if we know that and understand that and we experience that, then we can rejoice always. Then we can pray continuously. Then we can be thankful in every circumstance because he's got it. Even though we don't understand it, even though we think, what on earth is going on here? Why am I getting this sickness? Why are these circumstances going this way? I don't understand it. I can't work it. And you probably may not be able to sort it out completely, but underneath it, if you know that God's got it and he's got you, you can go, 
well, I need to trust that. And Lord, I can rejoice in the fact that you've got it, even though I don't understand it. I can pray, because even though I don't know how it's going to work out, I know you have. And I can be thankful in all the things that are coming my way, because even though it doesn't make sense to me, I know it makes sense to you. Now, don't get me wrong, that's tough, isn't it? Because we doubt, don't we? <laughs> we sit back and we think, well, God, have you really got him? Am I really safe in you? Are you really that? That's where doubt comes in, doesn't it? When doubt comes in, then it destroys that. Then we can't rejoice, we can't, we can't be thankful, and then suddenly it just all crumbles in around us, and then it gets like it's just, there's no hope because suddenly it's just all ripped out from us, then we can't live in it. So we need to ask God to help us in that. For him, through his word, through his people, and through his spirit, Confirm to our spirit that he is the best. That Jesus is better than anything. If you go home, Google Jesus is better. There's a song out there and there's, it's a great song. We possibly might sing it later in the year. But it's great. It's talking about how Jesus is better than all these sort of things. And then in the chorus it goes... Jesus is better than a certain circumstance, whatever. But the really great line after it says, make my heart believe. It's so honest, isn't it? Really, because, you know, that, that, that's, what we, that's what we need, don't we? We need to make our heart believe that that is true. Lord, make my heart believe. Look back in your word. Look at how you work through life. Look how you've worked through history. Look at what you did in Jesus. See that. Lord, make me understand the depth of your love and the depth of your mercy and grace in Jesus dying and rising again for me and the eternity is ahead, the hope, the faith, hope and love that Paul's been continually encouraged. Lord, make my heart believe that as he makes our heart believe that, when we're affirmed in that, when we're confirmed in that, then we can rejoice always. Then we can pray continually. Then we can be thankful in every circumstance. Because I, this, I'm, I'm, that's not me yet. <laughs> the moments I sit back and I think, man, Lord, what are you doing? There's moments I think, I haven't quite put it all together yet. And there's moments I doubt whether Jesus really is better than all that stuff out there that seems to be so attractive. And then when I come back, you know, I just realise that God, when I look at what Jesus is and who he is and what God's done in him, and I ask the Lord to affirm in my heart, a certain amount of that doubt goes. Can I encourage you in that, guys? Because you're, you're nourished in him, in trusting in him, trusting that Jesus is better than anything, you will find that you can rejoice always. You will find that you'll be praying continually. 
and he will find that you're being thankful even in every circumstance because you are blessed in every spiritual blessing in Jesus. Well, Paul goes on and I'll quickly fly through the last part, but I think that's what he wanted us to understand most importantly here. We need to have a nourished life when we understand and trust that and we live a nourished life, we are nourished when we trust in his spirit and when we trust in his word. Have a look at what he says. May God himself uh, sanctify you. Let's jump down to one more. Uh, in verse 19. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. You can spend a bit of time just sitting in all that, couldn't you? Uh, I, I think what Paul's wanting to say here is, firstly, that we are to trust the spirit and we are to trust the word. Uh, that in that is where we'll find that we'll be fine being nourished in our lives. He says, first and foremost, don't quench the spirit. Now, what does he mean by that? What does he mean by don't quench the spirit? Well, there's a whole lot of thought that has gone into that, but one of the things I think it's a bit like this. I love fires. I love campfires. Campfires are one of the greatest joys you can have in life, I reckon. And you just sit round it and you look into it, and as you're looking into it, the light reflects back to you and it warms the soul. It, just, it speaks to you through the fire. And then the heat, the heat that comes from it, you, you sit there and you go, oh, how good is this? Even in 30 degree heat, you can be around a fire and go, this is good. The light and the heat, you think, isn't that great? It encourages you and grows you. And I think that's what the spirit does within us. It encourages, it warms the soul, it builds up the soul. But I think quenching the spirit is when this happens. One of the things I hate, there's two things I hate about fires, is one, when the smoke gets in your eyes and you can't get away from it. And two, it's when someone stands between you and the fire. That is terrible. Get out of the way. As soon as you're standing between me and the fire, man, that's not a good spot to be. Because when you stand between the fire and me, what happens is you lose the light and you lose the heat, don't you? You get in front and you stop it. I think what it means by quenching the spirit is don't get between the spirit, the fire and a person. Don't get in between. Don't put anything between you and the spirit. Don't quench it. Don't stop the light. Don't stop the fire. I think you and I personally need to be careful that we don't do that. I know I personally need to be careful of that because I come from a very, well, my training is a conservative, reformed, evangelical background, which I would say is a good background, don't get me wrong. Uh, but within that, we have this little temptation to quench the spirit by actually just sidelighting him a little bit. You know, just hiding him a little bit over here, we'll protect over here because we don't want anyone to get too much of it because we might be in trouble, you know. We might be in trouble, you know, because... There's been good reasons why the evangelicals have done that, by the way, is because when they've seen, when we've looked back and looked across the land, there's been people that have used the Spirit for excuses for horrible, terrible things that have done with it to try and justify stuff that's just bizarre. And so because of that, we say, well, let's not go there too far, boys and girls. Let's just uh, hold the Spirit back here. But we've tended to quench it. Whereas we need to allow the Spirit to work, we need to allow the Spirit to move, we need to allow the Spirit to speak into people's lives, change people's lives, transform people's lives. Because the Spirit's main role is to transform us to be more like Jesus. Okay? That's what the Spirit's main role is. So that we trust more. So that we understand our blessedness in Jesus. So that we live lives of light 
in the world around us. But sometimes I think we've uh, said, well, we need to quench it. We just need to control it. We need to box him and make him just so that we've got him here. Don't let him out of the box. But we need to not do that, guys. We need to allow the spirit to work. And allow the spirit to work in people's lives. Sometimes we, need, we think we need to step in and stop people, but sometimes we just need to let the spirit work. Sometimes we think if we just teach them everything right, then they'll be right, but sometimes we just need to allow the spirit to work. Sometimes we need to step back and allow the Spirit to do what he wants, what he's going to do, is to transform people and change people. So he says, trust the Spirit, guys. Sometimes we just need to trust the Spirit to work without our interference. And we need to trust the Word. We need to trust what God speaks and how God speaks and what he does with that. Now the word here we use is prophecy. Now in scripture it's really hard to nail down exactly what prophecy is. Uh, in some sense there's a sense of, in the Old Testament, there's a sense of speaking forward to what's going to happen in the future. But there's also a sense of speaking into the present that God speaks in the Old Testament when he comes home. And then when we get to the New Testament, when we have the whole of the Bible again, there's a sense that prophecy actually is just the presenting of God's word in the Bible. There's a sense of bringing that to people. And so when he talks about prophecy, I think he's talking about the word of God, that we need to be, make sure that we hear them. People may speak into people's lives and bring God's word. But also he may bring God's word as he speaks the Bible to people as well and highlights and illuminates the word for people, like Basil was saying. Pray to God to speak out of his word to us and illuminate us to what he's saying within that. There's a sense of that as well. But in all of it, it's trusting God's word. But notice that Paul doesn't say it's just open slather, guys. Don't just get up and speak and say, hey, I've got a word for you from God. And just go for it. Or I'm going to come in and do this over here. Or, I'm going to do this over here. He says, be discerning in it. Be discerning in the spirit. Be discerning in the word. So if someone speaks to you and they say, this is God's word for you, be discerning with it. When I speak to you from here, from the front, be discerning with it. When I bring God's word, when you're in the gospel communities and you're reading God's word, be discerning in it. Think it through. Because Paul knows that in these different places there's a whole lot of people saying this is God's word for you. And it's garbage and it's rubbish and it's not true. And it happens today too. But there's sometimes when it is as well. So we need to be discerning. So how do we do be discerning? Well, let me give you six keys to be being discerning they're not all mine uh, six tests uh, some of them mine some of other people's are uh, the very first test of discerning on anything that the spirit you think is doing or that the prophecy is doing or someone's bringing the word to you first and foremost does it align with scripture Uh, I had someone speak to us once about someone who brought a word of God to a person who told them, you need to leave your husband. Pretty clear about that one, isn't it? You need to be discerning, don't we? Does it align with scripture? Secondly, uh, does it acknowledge Jesus as Lord? So as they bring the word of God to you, is it about being Jesus is the king? Is he Lord? Is he the one? Does, it, do the, per does the person acknowledge that? first and foremost 
Uh, thirdly, is it in line with the gospel of grace and love? So does it fit within the gospel that Jesus has lived, died and rose again? And it's only as we trust and believe in him that we are in him. It's God's love who reaches out to us with a free gift of grace from Jesus. Does it align with that? Or is there somehow a works-orientated salvation coming out here? Or if you do this, then you're going to be more blessed. Or if you do this, you're going to be more godly. If you're going to do this, is it, or is it law-driven or is it grace-driven? The character of the person that brings it to you. Now, these aren't just mine. These are out of Scripture as well, by the way. Uh, five, does it bring glory to God, build up the church and person to love? Because the Scriptures tell us that everything is to be for the glory of God. Does it highlight how great God is? Does it build people up to love him more and love others more? That's the last one. If anyone who comes to you with a work of the Spirit or a prophecy, a word from God, or preaches to you or brings the word of God to you, and those things aren't there, you need to be discerning. Maybe you don't listen to them. Well, Paul finishes off, doesn't he? Uh, he's talked about being nourished. We're able to live a nourishing life. We are to be nourished in our life, in our God sanctifying us to be more like Jesus so that we are able to trust him or that to really believe God is better than anything else. And in that we are to trust his spirit and to trust his word. And then finally Paul comes and gives a lovely little greeting at the end, doesn't he, to everyone around him. He says, brothers and sisters, pray for us. It's a good one to be doing to, isn't it? Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. See, Paul understands that this letter is God's word. He says, you read this to all the brothers and sisters. So not just to the Thessalonians, but this is to be passed on through the churches, to go out so that people all around the world ultimately can hear what happens here, that God's word to the Thessalonians actually becomes God's word to you and me as well. And in that he's got that nice little term, doesn't he? Greet one another with a holy kiss. Oh, that's a good question. What does that look like today, isn't it? I mean, what Paul is saying here ultimately is that what we are to greet one another is in a way that we're like family of love and warmth. And in different cultures that can look different, can't it? And so for Paul he's saying here this is a, a sense of being able to do this. Uh, a holy kiss for them was a way that they could demonstrate that. For some cultures it's a rubbing of the nose. If you're an Eskimo, for some cultures it's kiss either side and in some cultures it's a kiss three sides. You've got to be ready for that one when you're overseas. You're never too sure. Sometimes in a culture it's a handshake. Sometimes it's a fist pump. Sometimes it's a high five. Uh, all those things can be part of it, isn't it, really? But what he's saying is that we're going to greet one another warmly. So for some people it may be a kiss on the cheek. That might be the way. For some people it might be just a hug. Some people may not find that particularly warm at all, but actually quite intimidating. So we've got to be careful, don't we? Maybe it's a shake of the hand. Maybe it's a high five. Maybe it's just a nod. Hey, you doing, brother? But it's a warmth thing, isn't it? This is a warmth, a greeting of warmth. So when we come in here this morning, you should be greeted warmly at the front. If you want a kiss on the cheek, lean into it. If you don't, put the hand out. <laughs> All right? I'll give you the high five. Or the fist pump. 
or the shoulder, or the bloke's hug, or a proper hug if you want to go for that. But we need to think about that, don't we, as we come, but it needs to be warm, it means to be loving, it means to say that you're welcome here, that you're accepted here, that you are people who love Jesus and we want you to love Jesus as well. What a book. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We've got to the end of it. Oh, what a fantastic book. Can I encourage, as I said before, start back at chapter 5 again and work your way through it little bit by little bit because there's so much in there. But to understand that this is about having a nourishing life. We ought to be nourishing others. And we can do that because we're nourished by God. We know he's better. As we're nourished by him through his spirit, through his word, through his people, as we understand that we're in Christ and we are blessed beyond all belief in Jesus, then we can actually go out and live lives that are nourishing lives, rejoicing always, praying continually, thankful in all circumstances, continual acts of kindness, pursuing patience. We can do all that out of the fact that we know we're in Jesus. And in him, we are blessed beyond belief. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we want to thank you and praise you, Lord, for all that you have done for us in Jesus. Uh, that in him, Lord, we are loved beyond compare. In him, we are part of your family. In him, we have an eternity with you. In him, Lord, we are part of a larger family of people who love you and serve you. And in him, Lord, we can go out and live lives that are nourishing to those around us. Oh, Heavenly Father, we are blown away by that. Well, we can't do that by ourselves. We can't possibly do that by ourselves. Well, we need you. Lord, by your spirit within us, transform us. By your word impacting us, transform us. By your people uh, and the circumstances around us, transform us, change us, mould us to be more like Jesus in everything, Lord, to know that you are better than anything else. Lord, make our hearts believe. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.